drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Chinese worker labours on the factory line inserting these tiny little screws into a technological carcass that will become the smartphone in your pocket. He dreams of returning to the family he hasn't seen all year and worries he may accidentally drop a screw and get into trouble. The unrelenting work conditions have seen 14 of his co-workers die, but in his mind he writes poetry about his life and experience, an important fragment given the fate awaiting him. Canadian artist Ngyo Kong Ki came across the poetry of one such worker and used it to create a performance called I Swallowed a Moon Made of Iron. Welcome to you. Hello, thank you so much for inviting me and I'm really honoured to be speaking to the Australian audience. The term battler literature has a particularly kind of parochial Australian reference. We love to use this term in uh, our country, in our language. But it it, uh, borrows from the Mandarin term Dagong, meaning working for the boss. How did you come across Xu Litsu's poetry? Yeah, so it was going to probably uh, back in the 2014. Uh, I was just online, um, just going through social media. And uh, so a thread came up about Xu uh, Litsu. It is unfortunately you know, uh, announcing uh, his uh, death by suicide at, at that time. So, but through that encounter, and I also, it's the first time that I knew about him, but also the first time that I discovered his poetry. What struck you most about his very private form of expression that you discovered? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, when I when I read it, uh, I already like as you as you were saying earlier, and uh, back in 2010, we already kind of like uh, learned about the, the, the headlines that made uh, around the, that went around the world about the, a series of worker suicides at the factory in Shenzhen, China, and that prompted uh, a lot of discussions and controversy surrounding the, the the treatment of the of the workers in such a circumstance. And so when I re- when when the news about uh, Xu Dizhi's uh, apparent suicide. In 2014, came back, uh, came uh, came up again in the in, in the social media. I, you know, it wasn't really old new. It wasn't really new news, but it was nonetheless quite shocking to 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 realize that you know it, it's, it's it's an ongoing uh, situation. Uh, but what struck me about his poetry is how poignant and how 
beautiful, I guess, in 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 that kind of tragic kind of way that he can describe his feelings, and 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 so so he wasn't like I yeah I, I even to this day I don't think he was you know uh, out there to kind of like uh, create any expose or anything, but he was just you know chan- uh, through poetry channeling his inner feelings in into words and and sharing it with whoever you know uh, was there to listen to. Too. So, so I think that's kind of uh, what struck me the most that there is, uh, there's, there's, there's an artist that I didn't know about uh, that that created such powerful poetry that spoke directly to the life of many people, and even sort of like the feelings that he described is also quite familiar to me, even though our circumstances are completely different. There is very straightforward language used here, but as you say, kind of has that nuanced kind of poetic sensibility to it. Is there something about the Chinese education system that prioritizes, you know, the classical art forms, lyricism, poetry, that sort of thing, that informs his expression, if you like, even though his day-to-day experience is very much a blue-collar one? Yes, of course. I mean, he also died very young, huh? at the age of twenty-four. So his uh, his exposure to the literature, I think, it's it's mostly through his own love of poetry, for for whatever reason that he came to sort of uh, enjoy poetry. And and then you know, if one, uh, I'm not a poet myself, so but you know, I've uh, in my research, I also came upon analysis of his work uh, by the people in the literary world, and that talked about how some of his poetry mimics some of the earlier poetry even from you know a few hundred years back and uh, particularly in the in the in the height of the Tang dynasty and poetry and is 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 a very favorite form of the literary world so so he certainly has his own uh, he has he has a passion for poetry and i think a lot of what he was able to bring to the is kind of through self learning i don't think it's necessarily part of the educational system per se but I think uh, he, he just has a love for poetry and then he kind of went looking for them. Talk to me about the day-to-day realities of workers in Chinese factories such as he, because I think there is a level of denial or certainly naivety from Western consumers when it comes to the smartphones that they use that are made in China or the Christmas lights that they hang up around their house that are also made in a Chinese factory and exactly the conditions and realities that the workers involved in that production have to face on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I mean, from from the reports that came out, especially, you know, during the 2010 uh, series of suicides, and it was widely reported that uh, uh, the workers, uh, you know, had to work sort of long hours in sort of like uh, very uh, strict conditions and then uh, also underpaid that which kind of uh, prompted them to accept uh, overtime in order to sort of make up more pay and and all, all those kind of situations and it also very monotonous routine and day in and day out and there is kind of also maybe there's a sense of not being able to escape from that from that environment or from their from their situations but uh, the, the the more I think about it I mean the, I also kind of Feel that it's not necessarily restricted to this particular factory or uh, you know or an operations in China. It is. Uh, I think that I also feel that it's a worldwide problem in terms of how the uh, working class are being treated. And uh, even sort of like during the pandemic, you know, and even in North America, we talk a lot about the essential workers. How 
you know, they are the ones that had to work, but yet, you know, and they were not appropriately compensated in the system when we kind of, uh, the only measure of compensation would be monetary in, in this capitalist society. So, so there's always that struggle, whether it's here or whether it's in China and recently in North America, there's also, uh, you know, a, a series of uh, worker strikes, uh, any, anywhere from the auto workers to even artists like writers and, and, and actors and people who, you know, in our, in our mind perhaps seems to be sort of what they should be doing well. I mean, all the entertainment industries, but they're also within any industry, there's a large group of people kind of who support the sort of like the top rated people who, uh, you know, get all our attention, but there are also actually people just whack working actors who are probably not, who are actually not making ends meet. So, so I think it's kind of, it, it speaks to sort of like a, a wider, uh, situations, uh, worldwide situations, more than more than more more so than his own particular uh, circumstance. I, I was fascinated to learn about the worker poetry movement in China being linked back to the 1980s and in the form of graffiti on the walls of some mm-hmm. of these factories. It really took on mm-hmm. uh, a different form in the 1990s, showing up in factory newsletters and then even mm-hmm. in self-published anthologies. It even has its own journal since 2019. So this worker poetry movement or battler literature, as it's referred to, is a fairly well established literary movement. Is it endorsed by the Communist Party? Uh, that I don't know, but it's certainly, in, I think it's certainly endorsed by the uh, uh, the people in the literary circle. Yeah, I, I'm kind of imagining that without their validations, it is hard to become recognized as a as a, a movement. So even though, you know, the people writing this poetry, the workers writing these poetries, may have an uh, an 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 inspirations to sort of like you know uh, become sort of like the stars of the literary movement, but or perhaps not. Perhaps a lot of them are just writing because that's the only way they can express themselves or release some of the anxieties or uh, to escape from their day-to-day without further thinking about uh, uh, anything else beyond that. But it is their readers, I imagine, among uh, except among themselves, are probably a lot of, most of the workers probably do not read their poetries, but it is read by, by, by people who um, you know, in his case, probably the end users of the products that, that they made. Um, and so, so there is kind of like an, uh, uh, an kind of inherent uh, contradictions, perhaps an, an irony in, in death situations. And, um, but uh, perhaps it's also, maybe, perhaps these are the people that really need to re- read their poetries because uh, the, the situation describing is perhaps a little bit more foreign to them than the, the workers actually were doing the work. Njo Kong Ki is with me on RN Drive. We're discussing Chinese worker poetry and his work, I Swallowed a Moon, Made a Vine. I'll give you some details where you can see that in Australia in just a moment. Tell me about yourself because I know uh, your experience wasn't exactly the same as Shu Li Tzu, although you were trained in the European classical music tradition. Certainly it seems like you found a little bit of connection with his tendencies when it comes to expression. Do you think of it like that? Yeah. Yes, um, I was actually born in Indonesia, and then my family moved to Macau, and then uh, I spent a few years in Portugal and ended up in Canada uh, a while ago now. So I've always kind of, in, in a way, been sort of like 
moving around in, in this kind of like a migrant experience and as an immigrant experience, I guess, rather. And um, so, but in terms of my, uh, the, the, the resonance I feel with Shilitsa, because I do kind of feel as a, a person who creates works, I do find some parallel in, in, in terms of his experience and mine. And in that, uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, that I feel that he makes works just because he has to. And this is kind of his way uh, of being. So when I first read his poetry, I mean, I also have this impulse to uh, respond as an artist uh, because that that's that that that's what I do. So so on that kind of level, I kind of feel that on a, an artist to artist ba basis, and there, there I really kind of feel pulled to to respond to his words, and uh, and so that's kind of how I treat this work. It's really more an, it's, uh, the first and foremost an artistic response uh, to to the poet's uh, words, and when I put this uh, creation uh, production together, the in the collaborators I invite. The premise is that we'll each in our own domain uh, respond to the poetry, and then we and then we put them all together. So each each of the elements has a is a different response uh, from the different artists who work on this show with me so so that's kind of how i came to relate to him. and of course i mean the feelings that he described in terms of sort of being trapped and and then sort of like or whether it's kind of like the, the descriptions of his uh, really poignant relationship with his uh, with well maybe perhaps it's his mother but i mean the, the poetry there's a piece of poem entitled mother so we don't know whether he's talking about his own mother or just mother others in general but uh, but that feeling is also very universal and relatable obviously and and so the the images that he was going to be able that he was able to create is uh, as you were saying earlier too it's also highly it's very poetic and imaginative and some of the perils that you can find uh, metaphor he can find is also very acute and direct and all of those kind of help help me and also the audience uh, to go into sort of like the inner landscape of his what he's thinking and how he's feeling. So I think that's kind of like the the strongest pool as far as poetry is concerned uh, for for me, because the rest we already know and it's like uh, the situation it is describing. It's already in the news. We already know, but his poetry really make us feel uh, the, the the gravity of the situation. Well, it's fascinating work, and uh, surely you must have uh, felt a, a strong sense of responsibility uh, adding uh, layers to the, the poetry through his words. I'd like to play a short excerpt of this performance by Ngo Kongki. The Australian premiere of I Swallowed a Moon Made of Iron is on at the Oz Asia Festival. That's at the Adelaide Festival Centre on Wednesday, the 25th of October and Thursday, the 26th of October. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Let's take a listen. Yet, 
下了你，是说眼下人心天气，眼下扎满水小的生活，我眼下奔波，眼下了你，是说眼下人心天气，眼下扎满水小的。